Most everyone is concerned in some way about wages, aren't they? If you are the employee, you come around to your annual review date and wonder how much of an increase you will receive. Will it barely keep pace with the cost of living, or will your hard work pay off and the increase you receive be a little more substantial? If you're the employer, you're trying to manage the delicate balance between keeping your employees happy and trying to keep your business expenses consistent so you can budget consistently. If you are someone who has wages dependent on a contract, your life can revolve around the negotiations that determine your wages. In this case, others are often invited into the anxiety that can surround wages. How often have you been sitting and watching the professional athletes bickering about wages, wondering, will there be any games this year, right? We're invited into the discussion about wages. I can think back to a more, well, people with smaller salaries than professional athletes, it means a little bit more to us. I can think back to when I was a kid. I remember watching the six o'clock news and seeing people picketing around outside John Morrell. Right there in Sioux Falls, they were picketing. I remember this vividly. I didn't understand anything that was going on. I think my parents probably tried to explain it to me, but I wasn't a very bright kid, I suppose. So I didn't understand what was happening. But what I did know, what I did know, is that some of my friends had fathers who were affected by the strike. And I also knew people who crossed the picket lines because times were tough and they needed to feed their families. Even though they were threatened by name-calling and and other types of threats, feeding their families was, was important. Wages mean a lot to us. We understand this. And so when we read about Jacob wanting to get a fair wage, I think this story today resonates with us a little bit. It's a feeling that we've all had. And so even though this story seems a little strange to us, we can understand the emotions involved. We also have another point on which we can resonate with Jacob. Here, Jacob is the underdog, isn't he? He's been taken advantage of by Laban. Remember, Jacob was was tricked into marrying Laban's oldest daughter instead of the daughter that he was laboring to marry. And even though Laban was at fault and he deceived Jacob, what was he able to do? He's able to get more labor out of him, even though he was the one at fault. I've said many times as we've been going through the story of Jacob that he really isn't a very sympathetic character in so much of the story. But the last couple weeks, our feelings are starting to shift. The the text is handling Jacob in a different way. We're starting to understand him a little bit more. We're starting to see God working on him a little bit. We're starting to feel like, you know, maybe I can root for Jacob here a little bit. In this story, We are definitely rooting for Jacob because we know what it feels like to have someone with more power and authority take advantage of us. We have all had that happen. And so we land here in this story about Jacob and the goats and the sheep, and we're going to do our best to take this story and understand it and apply it to our lives. As I was preparing this week, I was sitting in a a lobby area, a nice uh, area of one of the cabins, and One of the other youth directors, uh, he was actually a pastor of youth and worship at a church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he says to me, what are you working on? I said, well, I have to preach on Sunday. And he said, well, what text? 
And I said, the sheep and the goats in Genesis? He said, oh, that's a rough one to have to prepare while you're away. So let's see what we can do with it. Let's see what we can acquire from it, what we can learn about who God is and what he's doing. So to do this, we're going to break it down into three points and see what we can find here as we go through the story. The first thing that we're going to see is that Jacob desires to return to his home country. Now as we read this, we, we have to remember how Jacob ended up where he is in the first place. Remember, he was on the run from Esau. He had stolen the blessing from his brother and was scared for his life. And so running was a good idea just to get away from Esau. Secondly, we, we saw that he was sent to find a wife from his mother's family. Now we find that he's ready to head back to his home country. And the idea that's being expressed to us here is Jacob is starting to live by faith. He's starting to trust God. Second, we see that Laban is hesitant to let Jacob go. He, he wants Jacob to stay, and so Laban asks him to make an offer for his wages. But instead of wages, Jacob asks to have a portion of the flock. But once again, we find that Laban is dishonest. Laban has a scheme to take advantage of the agreement that he's made with Jacob. And finally, we see that God gives Jacob increase. In this fact, we really see two things. The first is that God continues to have his hand upon Jacob. He is blessed just as God has promised. But we also see that Jacob is starting to trust God more and more. This guy who really had no, wanted nothing to do with, with God and, and was doing everything by his own power, he's finally starting to trust God. And so we land with our first point. We're going to look at verses 25 and 26. And we're reminded of what we saw last week. The, the events we read about today happen after Joseph is born. Now, we don't know if there is a significance to the birth of Joseph, Joseph and Jacob's being ready to head back to his home country. It doesn't tell us. Perhaps he has finally seen the faithfulness of God. Maybe that's the idea expressed to us here, that finally Rachel, his beloved, has given birth to a child. And so Jacob is seeing how faithful God truly is. Maybe that's what it is. Regardless of the reason, we are seeing something in Jacob here. Instead of deception, instead of running away from his problems, Jacob is ready to go back to the land that God has promised to Abraham and Isaac. A land that God has also told Jacob that his offspring will inherit. So we're starting to feel that maybe, just maybe, Jacob is starting to come around. Maybe Jacob is really getting it. Because his life thus far has been filled with struggle. That, that's what the entire idea of his life has been struggle and deception. He's been trying to do things on his own, but now Jacob is moving in the direction of God. He's wanting to head back toward the land that was promised. And we're seeing that he is trusting God. But in order to do this, we see that he needs to get a release from his arrangement with Laban. He has been under his employ for quite a few years now. As he asks for his release, we see that he is banking on the good reputation that he's been building up. He's hoping that, that this release will be charitable because things have gone well for Laban while Jacob has been working for him. So this information about Jacob is interesting when we stop and think about what's been going on. What have we what have we seen in Jacob in the majority of his life thus far? We've seen Jacob looking out for himself and doing anything necessary to get what he wants. Well, now suddenly, 
we're seeing that Jacob seems to have labored for Laban with integrity, right? Jacob? He's been laboring with integrity? That's not the guy that we've been learning about. What, what's going on? There is, there's a place that this story could have easily gone. And I know that I would have likely done what I'm about to suggest if I was in Jacob's shoes. And I think most people, if they're honest, would probably do the same thing. I would have justified the treatment I received from Laban as a reason to work things around behind his back to acquire wealth for himself. You take advantage of me, you give me your unattractive daughter Leah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work around. I'm going to get people on my side. I'm going to get people, uh, get the, the flock, and I'm going to sell them and acquire wealth for myself. I deserve this with the way you've treated me. I'll get mine, and you'll get yours, buddy. That's what, that's what many of us would have likely done. If you're going to scheme against me, I'm going to scheme against you, Laban. Maybe I'd have found a way to have a little separate flock. You know, it's a big, it's a big land. Maybe I can have something of my own off to the side. Both those, both those options of getting people to work for him and maybe overthrow him or, or getting a flock on the side, both of those lack integrity. But what do we know about Jacob? He lacks integrity. And so we're supposed to see here that suddenly Jacob seems to have learned something. You could easily say, as I said before, that Laban had it coming. And whatever would have happened, whatever Jacob would have done, was Laban's own fault. And as I said, isn't that what we would expect from Jacob? Wouldn't that be in line with what we know about Jacob so far? But that isn't what happens. Jacob has worked with integrity, and God has blessed him for it. And what we find as we move on to our second point this morning is that Laban has noticed it too. And because of this, he doesn't want Jacob to leave. And there's really something off here as we look at what Laban has done. While we know that Laban is of the right family line for Jacob to seek out a wife from his family, obviously we're seeing here that, that Laban and his family are not faithful followers of the Lord. Now remember, where did Jacob find Laban? He found him in the east. He wasn't near the presence of the Lord. Jacob had to go east, away from the presence of the Lord. Remember, we've been seeing that idea throughout Genesis. When people go east, they're moving away from the Lord. Where did Jacob go to find a wife? He went east. And so the idea is, is that Laban is away from the presence of the Lord. He's not seeking out God. And we see this in this whole messed up thing that he does here. He, he's using these pagan practices, this divination, to try and ascertain why he has had wealth. Because Laban is confused about why he is so prosperous. And he could have done the simple math, right? Jacob showed up here. My flocks increased after that point. Simple math. Even I can do that math. Even I can figure out something that easy. But what does Laban do? He goes to these pagan rituals and ideas. He goes to divination and the idea that we're be seeing here is, at the core, Laban is a pagan man in a pagan land. And this little detail is, in, is a contrast for us of Jacob, who is moving towards deeper faith and trust in the Lord. And then we have Laban, who is seeking out those who practice the occult. Again, looking at a ca calendar, 
saying Jacob showed up here, and, and figuring out when he arrived and, and when your flocks increased could have solved this, but Laban didn't do that. He did what pagans do because he is a pagan man in a pagan land. And in doing so, he discovered the obvious fact that he was blessed because of Jacob. He found out that the Lord had blessed him. And so he wants to keep Jacob. So what does he do? Name your wages. Now this is a negotiation that most of us would salivate at, right? Name my wages. Yes. Here we go. Name your price. I'll give it. Yes. I got a number in mind. Let's go. But that isn't what Jacob does. Jacob is showing signs of maturity here. And we've learned that he understands that, that God is the one who's providing for him. He states the simple facts, and he says, hey, father-in-law, I was just a scrub herdsman when, you came to town, when I came to town, and so were you. You didn't have much going on, anything to speak of. I wanted the hand of Rachel, but now since I've started working for you, you're a pretty big wheel in the herdsman world. There's been substantial increase, and Notice that this is, this is continuing because of me. Well, who gets the credit for this? Jacob could have easily pointed to his wisdom. He could have easily pointed to his work ethic, but instead he gives credit to God. And that growth in Jacob is exhibited by the fact that he wants to provide for his own household. Why would this be important? He could have just coasted for the rest of his life and worked for Laban and likely inherited some of it because he was his son-in-law. But what does Jacob want to do? He wants to change his geography. He wants to move. He wants to return to the land that God has promised to him and his forefathers. He wants to follow God. He wants, doesn't want to stay in the east away from the presence of God. Jacob wants to move back towards God. But Laban desires to keep Jacob around. He, he's wanting to do things the easy way. He just wants to keep coasting with Jacob in charge. But, but Jacob can't be bought with wages. He has faith that God is going to bless him as he has been told. He wants to return to the land because he believes the promises of God. So to that end, Jacob comes up with an arrangement. He asks to have the speckled and spotted sheep and goats and all the black lambs. And there, there's some real wisdom in this because it allows Jacob to clearly distinguish his livestock from Laban's. Not only that, but it will be very easy for Laban to know whether or not Jacob has stolen any of the livestock. So everything should theoretically be completely above the board. But like I said, theoretically. We're, we're dealing with Laban here, right? Things go south really quickly. They make this agreement. Laban agrees, agrees to the character traits that the animals would have, and he follows, he continues to follow his character traits of deception, right? Right away, he decides to cheat. He takes out the spotted and the black animals and puts them under the charge of his son. And there's a basic understanding of genetics going on here, right? He's trying to game the system by taking out the animals that not only would start Jacob out with a decent flock, but they also would pass those, those traits for the colors in their coats along to the animals that they were reproducing with. And to even make even more sure that they wouldn't be breeding with these animals, they were put a three-day journey from the flock that Jacob was taking care of. Laban is gaming the system. He's cheating right off the bat. And so as we move on to the final part of this passage, we, we see that despite the attempts of human intervention, God blesses Jacob. 
And this gives us our third point, that God gives Jacob increase. As we get to this point and we finish up the passage, there, there are some interesting details here. This passage has, has people wondering, what's going on? Did, did Jacob think that the sticks were somehow making an impression on the sheep and, and then the goats would be born the way he wanted them to be? Did the inspired authors of this holy text think this too? Does this mean that the authors of Holy Scripture didn't understand basic genetics? How can the Bible be the Word of God if it gets something so simple, so wrong? These are the questions that have been asked. Have been asked. Well, there are certain ways to answer these questions, but I think the best thing that we can do to understand the message here is to think about what is trying to be conveyed to us through this passage. What's the underlying idea in the text? What's the foundation that we're meant to see holding this up? Is the purpose to tell us what ancient people thought about agricultural reproduction? Or is the purpose here to show us that God is faithful to bring increase to his servant Jacob? Jacob did these things, but God's the one who brought the increase. That's the idea we're meant to see. And obviously, we know that just by looking at the sticks, the sheep aren't going to produce offspring like that, right? So what's happening? God is making this happen. God is at work in this. And we know from what it says here that clearly Jacob does have a basic understanding of genetics. He has these sticks setting out, but he is also making sure that the bigger, stronger animals are breeding for his flock, and the feebler ones are with the flock of Laban, right? So we know that he isn't completely clueless about how all this genetic stuff works. Now, we can't know and don't know what the expectation was here with the peeled sticks and where he put them and all that. If we dwell, dwell on why he did it and what Jacob maybe thought, we're going to miss the big point about what this story is telling us. You see, the success of Jacob is not ultimately due to the sticks or to the scheming of Jacob to, to acquire these flocks for himself. It's about the success that God brings to Jacob in his grace. And this is where we need to remember the big point of what we see in the book of Genesis. Our modern minds immediately go to the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we see God prospering them. And we think that somehow we should emulate their lives. And then God will give us success, God will give us prosperity, give us financial gain or earthly gain. But that isn't the point of the prosperity of the patriarchs here. Yes, God brings great wealth to them in the book of Genesis. There's no denying that. But is, it about, is that wealth about his covenant faithfulness and ultimately about how God is going to bless his people or is it about material wealth? It, it isn't about material wealth. It's about the covenant faithfulness of God. It's about how these people need to be protected because they're going to bring us Jesus. That's the big point. The Jesus is going to come from their prosperity. And it isn't about earthly prosperity, but about the prosperity of the covenant being kept and us receiving a Savior for the salvation of our sins. That's what the big picture is. They have increase and, ex and success in Genesis because God is faithful to them, and he has promised to bring the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed through their family line. And so their success, their prosperity, protects that family line. It's God giving them success and protection to protect his covenant promise. And so we see 
in this last sentence of our passage for today. The man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. What is God doing? God is protecting him. God is building up his family. Jacob, who has run off from the wealth of his father Isaac, has now been protected and is prospered by God. And remember, back when God came down the ladder to Jacob, God said to him that he would protect him. And even though his life hasn't been easy, God has been faithful to do what God said he would do. Jacob has many sons, he has many possessions, and has himself a small little kingdom here. And as this passage comes to a close, we're starting to get this feeling. Jacob, maybe, just maybe, it's time for Jacob to return to the land that God has promised. Maybe now Jacob will have faith. Maybe now, maybe the faith of Jacob has grown and he will finally trust that God is going to protect him no matter what when he returns to the land and he's going to have to face everything he's run from. But now he has faith to face Esau. He has faith to face his deception because God is with him. So as we wrap up this very different passage in the book of Genesis, I believe there's some important principles that you and I can take away from it. The first one is that we need to trust that God gives the increase. Look at what's been going on with Jacob. The odds were against him. The odds were against him. And we've seen that he has worked so hard to do things on his own in the past. But Jacob now sees that, that God is giving the increase. Now, we are, we are so prone also, just like Jacob, to do things on our own. We don't trust that God is in control. And this is not only the case in our personal pursuits of, of things in our lives, but it's also the case in our spiritual lives, isn't it? We're always looking for something to do that will get us over the troubles that we're facing, that we can do. But the truth that we see in the life of Jacob is that God gives the increase. We are called to trust in him and the means that he has provided for us. In the life of Jacob, he endured many difficulties, and we can look to the work of God to know that he is faithful. And for us, this once again goes back to the cross. When we aren't sure what life has in store for us, or when we wonder if God is at work, we look to the saving work of Jesus for us and know that God will be faithful to keep us. Just as God gave Jacob the increase, we, we trust that God will continue his work in us to grow us in faith through the means that he has ordained. For Jacob, the flocks were increased by the power of God. For us, our faith is increased and built up by the word and by the power of the spirit that indwells us. And so, may we trust God to bring us an increase, an increase in faith, that we might faithfully bring glory to his holy name. Secondly, and I'm not able to advance to number two, Nancy, if you could move that one. Secondly, after all the things in Jacob's life that we've, we've had and we've seen, we've had a lot of things that we have to gloss over with Jacob, things that, boy, we really shouldn't be doing those because, because Jacob has not been acting in a very virtuous way, has he? Now we come to a passage where we look at Jacob and we see something that we can emulate. What did Jacob do? Jacob put in the work. He didn't have a get-rich-quick scheme. He, he asked his employer nothing except to be fair to him. 
He trusted God with his prosperity. And while this passage reads through very quickly, it really is just a handful of verses. But when we think about what Jacob is doing here and what he's done with Laban, it took a lot of time. Jacob has been patient. Let's do some quick math. He worked seven years and received Leah. Then he worked, after he married Rachel, he worked another seven years. That's 14 years for his brides. And with this whole arrangement with, with the livestock, was this a get-rich-quick thing? Was this a fasting? No. He had to wait for the breeding patterns. He had to wait for the gestation periods to pass. All of this took time. It took a long time. And he had to trust God. But his hard work paid off, and he was blessed by God. So may we see this example in Jacob. And may we humbly work each day to the glory of God. May we work hard with our hands and faithfully put in a good day's work, trusting that God blesses the work of the hands of his people. And so may we faithfully labor in God's world, trusting that this is an opportunity to show us how we can trust God and another opportunity for us to show others that we trust God to give the increase because he has given us great increase, not only in our lives, but in our faith, we trust God to give the increase. Amen.